Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. As they used to say in the Truman Show, good evening or good morning or good afternoon, whatever it was, wherever you are, it's France, Argentina. After what was a hugely interesting, satisfying, meaty, multi-layered semi-final, 2-0 France against Morocco. And I, I want to start, I mean, in theory, it still sounds mad to say it out loud. In theory, you're here to hear me talking or analysing. But instead, I want to start with a question, if you don't mind. When was the last time when you or people around you, those you respect, were talking about great managers, modern, all-time? At what stage did Didier Deschamps' name get mentioned? I'd be willing to wager that the answer is never, not at all. And based on tonight's performance, which was a pretty strong replication of the thing that's defined their tournament, which is whether they're playing supremely well and bossing it, or whether they're playing a match which is very clearly rope-a-dope and, and you know that there are counterpunches, a flurry of, of, of strikes that will put their opponent away, or whether they're just holding on and saying, we've still got something, don't worry. The win over Morocco was what many champions in all sports do. They find ways and they find moments in which to win. But I want to set that win against Morocco, who in almost everything except for quality chance creation, never mind finishing, but that ability... I've often talked about the Spanish expression pausa, which is not pause, it's not slowing things down. It's it's that ability to be ice cold in the moment of whether to dribble, whether to pass, whether to shoot, when to release, how to release the ball. <laughs> Clinical in understanding where your direct rival's flaws are. You, you get the picture. France have that and largely Morocco didn't. But if you want to set their performance against 
two things. I think everybody's been talking repeatedly about the number of players that France have missing, which now includes Lucas Hernandez, Kimpembe, Benzema, Kante, Pogba, Mignon. There are others. It should matter, particularly when you can't choose Upamecano or... I'm not broken-hearted when I see a team without Rabiot in it. But there were two key guys who've been important to victory so far in this tournament, absent through flu. Not chosen, not used, not able. That's a long list. Much worse, far more interesting in my interpretation, in terms of where France are today, which is facing... Their second match in four years against Argentina after the seven-goal thriller that where Mbappe destroyed Argentina four years ago. It's France versus Argentina in the World Cup final in um, Doha this Sunday afternoon in European terms. Did you watch them? Did you watch them in June and September? A France side which, okay... In the in the early game, um, in the early games in, in June in the Nations League, where they were very nearly relegated out of their group, like England were in their group, and only because they drew and defeated Austria in the two games did France, the the reigning world champions, avoid relegation to League B. But they were awful. They were particularly awful. When losing at home to Croatia, losing at home to Denmark, they looked not only out of form, they looked as if they didn't enjoy playing together anymore. There was dissension. They looked as if they didn't understand each other anymore. It looked like a team in disintegration. And in this tournament, they've looked like anything but that. If you were fortunate enough to watch the very, very good BBC documentary, How to Win the World Cup. The section on how France won it four years ago was fascinating. And there'll be a repeat publication of our big interview with Olivier Giroud, where he talks a little bit about that France victory in Russia. We will republish that interview before the final on Sunday afternoon. The way in which Deschamps knew not only how to coach them, how to choose the team, but how to man-manage them. That elusive thing to know when to let them away with things, when to let players take over the, the burden of inspiration, the burden of decision-making, the burden of leadership, the speechifying... Deschamps had a magical understanding of something that his former international teammate, Zinedine Zidane, his former Juve teammate, Zidane, probably has as his number one managerial talent. I've called it the player whisperer before. And it's the way in which, because you're, you were elite as a footballer, but because you have aura, because what you do, what you say, how you decide things, how you treat people, augments your natural leadership, inspires people who don't, in theory, need you. People who have won 
lots of club trophies, people who have more money than they, their children or their grandchildren will ever need to spend, how do you get to them? Do you remember the days when Alex Ferguson used to say, and he still does to this day, but he's not managing, you have to be the top paid man at the club. The instant the players know they earn more than you, something fatal has broken in terms of your leadership. Well, that, that's not feasible anymore. In Doha, one of the conversations I had was with Graham Souness. It was in the broadcast compound before one of the Spain games. He was relaying that Arsene Wenger had told him that Kylian Mbappe is on 250 million euros per season net of taxes. That's 250 million clear of tax. Souness's point was, well, that's Mbappe finished. Who's ever going to stand up to him? Who's ever going to be able to boss him around? Well, that question has been hanging around for many years now. Once players were earning one and a half times, twice, six times as much as their coach. And therefore, Zidane showed it at Real Madrid, and Zidane was being rumoured to take over even before this World Cup and after the World Cup, and it's now looking as if it's Deschamps' decision to choose whether he does or does not stay on. Zidane's brilliance at Real Madrid wasn't necessarily a wonderful tactical analysis of the opponents or some unique, brilliant coaching of his own stars. It was inspiration. It was... Plugging them in, making them ready, making them hungry, making them understand that there was a, a level of desire that belongs to the greats, whereby it isn't enough to do quite well, to win a trophy every three years, to, to be remunerated by 15, 16, 17 million euros per year. He made them want to be hungry. He made them want to be proud of their aggressive, competitive attitude. And, and, and that is the difference between good players who can beat you seven times out of ten, becoming great players who will beat you eight and a half or nine times out of ten. Deschamps, it has been proven with France, has the same thing. I, I first interviewed Deschamps when he was a Juventus player I was sent there, I can't remember if it was by newspaper or UEFA, and certainly I spent a lot of time at Juventus studying um, the methods of the late Gianpietro Ventroni, who, who was the Spurs coach recently until he died, sadly, this, this winter. Studying Lippi, interviewing Luca Vialli, get well soon, Luca. He announced today that he has to take more time away from the game in order to dedicate all his force to beating pancreatic cancer. So, get well soon, Luca. But the first time I interviewed Deschamps would have been, I think, after Monaco lost 4-2 at the Stadio delle Alpi in Turin to Juve. Deschamps, even though my, my French and my Italian were pigeon, stopped and, and would speak and would... Try to help me. The next time I spoke to Deschamps was in 2010. And 
he was at that stage Marseille manager. We talked about the Champions League and him returning to Chelsea with Marseille, and I'll come back to the Marseille theme in a minute. But we talked, or I asked him about his skills. His skills in being able to move from being a leader, a captain, somebody in midfield, somebody who brought more to the pitch than the things he did on or off the ball. And he told me this, I've looked back in my notes. He told me, leadership is something natural, something you're born with. At birth, some are made to lead, some not. Leadership can be developed, it can be worked upon, but I think that in a team sport, the leader is automatically recognised by those around him. You cannot wake up one morning and say, that's it, tomorrow I'll be a leader. By the time he left Marseille, again, this time for UEFA, as he was taking over, as he did take over France, I think 2012, he told me that in the end it had been a horrific time at Marseille. His words were, I was physically and mentally broken, I'd put on weight, I wasn't happy, I had to go. Laurent Blanc had been in charge of France, a man for whom I've got very, very little time. I find him as a person as divorced from the elegant footballer that he was, as you can imagine. Deschamps and he don't get on. I won't be going on holiday with Laurent Blanc anytime soon, Deschamps said to me at an interview in Switzerland. I'm saying all these things because how is it that he's managed to cope with all the injury absences, the horrific form that France were showing in June and September in the Nations League, and come to this tournament and march into the final, and then cope with Morocco, who potentially define best. I was going to say automatically they played their best game tonight. Maybe their most interesting, their most daring, their most attacking performance tonight, particularly pound for pound, because perhaps you can say that beating Belgium, although a very lacklustre, very tired Belgium side, needs to rank as the one. Eliminating Spain and Portugal are achievements which are utterly historic. But for my taste, this is the one, this is the game where I've liked Morocco most because it was brutally difficult, because they were daring, because even within their tiredness, even within finding themselves against a world champion that had an early lead, they understood exactly the mental, physical, tactical challenges that were in front of them and they made France sweat. 
It's a goddamn shame then, isn't it, that Walid Regregi had a bad day at the office. This was a bad day at BlackRock for the Morocco coach. And you can understand exactly what his logic was. But if you think about Saiz, Aguard and Masrawi, the two central defenders should not have been on the team list. One of them, Aguard, needed to be changed before a kickoff because he couldn't make it through the warm-up. Saiz was off after France nearly went 2-0 up because a long ball over the top was literally impossible for him to cope with. And then Masrawi's off at halftime. He thought that because the two centre-halves, in his view, were so important, so experienced, and they are both excellent, that if he protected them by still playing El Yamik and playing five at the back, which in tactical terms was a mistake. So it was like that idea about you've got a table, I often reach for this simile, and it's not always successful, <laughs> but you've got a table where there's one leg that's a little bit wobbly, so instead of just replacing the leg, you think, well, I'll take a little bit off that leg and a little bit off this leg, then, then the fourth one, and oh, they're all a bit wobbly, and none of them are flat now, and you get my point. Instead of simply saying, if I've got to move to five at the back because I want an absolutely guaranteed fit, young, fast, if not high-quality central defender um, in in terms of the Valladolid man playing, starting, so that we can protect uh, Saiz and Aguero. As soon as he went, El Yamik's got to play to protect those two. He should have known, nah, I'm getting this wrong. One of the worst I've seen was Chola Simeone in the year that Atletico won the title, 2013-14 in Spain. He was really, it, it was absolutely clear that neither his Turkish playmaker nor his Brazilian striker, Diego Costa, uh, being the worst of the two, really were fit. He risked them both. Neither had a game, had to be substituted in a Champions League final against Real Madrid, and it took the wind out of Atleti. And as close as they came, it didn't help them in terms of resources, sub-changes. This was in the days when there weren't five changes. Tonight, against France, what happened was that there was a reshuffle at the death when it was clear that Ashraf Dari had to play instead of Naif Aguard. And he wasn't particularly ready. And the system of five stayed when that wasn't the right thing to do. So when the ball comes in to, again, uh, Masrawi's space and Griezmann gets room, it's it's a horrible mistake by El Yamit because Griezmann's movement is very clever. He's He's splitting the two who are marking, which is El Yamik and Masrawi. Jules Koundé plays a crucial role because for just about the only time in the entire tournament, he's up high, hugging the touchline like a wing-back. 
Masrawi has to come out. Griezmann sees the space. He gets in behind El Yamik, makes a run where El Yamik is like, where's he come from? The ball's sent in. El Yamik thinks he can get there. So he sprints at it without thinking, without analysing, doesn't get there. Off goes Griezmann. The ball into the middle is... It it led to one of the, the most beautiful moments because Ashraf and Mbappe are bosom buddies at the club level. Ashraf tried his best all night to contain Mbappe, this phenomenal, mercurial, beautiful footballer who's on 250 million net a year. (laughs) And he got there from right back. He got there in a five-man defence, remember, to block Mbappe's shot from Griezmann's ball in. It's Ashraf who's moved across from right back, meaning that when the ball rebounds to Teo Hernandez, good footballer, good athlete, not one of my favourite people in the world. When the ball rebounds to him, there's no right back blocking him. And on the line, Ashraf Dari, not on the line, in the goal, is, is, is out of place. He's, he takes a swipe at it that makes Juranovic and Sosa for Croatia in the... Uh, in the Julian Alvarez goal, look <laughs> like Franz Beckenbar. It's horrible. And and therefore, four and a half minutes into the game, France are 1-0 up. And, and if we want to be really clear about it, there's a theme which runs from Croatia's mistakes that allowed Argentina to impose themselves to Walid Regragi, who thought, I have to have my injured guys in because they're top quality. And it was a disastrous decision. It went so badly wrong that when you look at the change that he was he was then forced to make and the fact that it then became um, a change of formation, no five at the back anymore, a proper midfield um, when Saiz goes off and Amala comes on, who played quite nicely, they go to four and suddenly... France's midfield, although they work hard and although they produce moments of quality, they can't cope. They can't dominate. And that becomes crucial. It becomes crucial because, again, Sofian Amrabat, whose brother I remember recommending to David Moyes, both um, when he was at Real Sociedad, and at later stages, I think when he was at Sunderland, anyway, the younger of the two Amrabats had a gorgeous game. Yes, in the end, tired, couple of mistakes. But throughout this match, I felt it was really only between him and Griezmann for who was the, the, the absolutely most influential player across the 90 minutes. Unahi, again, sensational. I think at Fiorentina, although debt is something that they fear and fight against, they may be more bullish about keeping Amrabat. But at Angers, facing relegation, when the bids come in for Unahi in in, in January, boy, I think they must be rubbing their hands in glee and thinking, here come the big bucks. Because that kid at 22 is, is magical. At any rate... Regragi has, I'm sad to say, caused 
an imbalance in a Morocco side that was already staring down the barrel because France are experienced, talented, hungry. They they know when to pounce. They know how you do how to do you damage. And one of their best players, Morocco's best players, Ashraf, was at his limit trying to contain Mbappe. So the fact that Unahi's shot and there was a very, very nice save from Joris to his left. The fact that when the corner comes in midway through the, the first half and El Hamik gets an overhead kick and between Joris, I'm pretty sure that it's both a touch from him and the post. These are moments where the quality of Morocco's play has led to France being in jeopardy. And the thing that I'm sad to have to talk about, but I mean it, is that penalties, referees' decisions and VAR are things that I enjoy analysing. I enjoy listening to some people's analysis, particularly those who are journalistic experts on the whys and wheres of the FIFA laws, on the whys and wheres of VAR. VAR is a tool that is... Patently useful, but at the moment is patently too prone to human error, in my opinion. Human interpretation and that interpretation being inconsistent. But across this tournament, despite my enjoyment of trying to understand laws and apply them and think about referees' pressure when they're, when everything is helter-skelter, unlike Neil, I haven't done my qualification badges, but like Neil, I did referee for a while. And I found it an enormous adrenaline test to try and work out, can you keep up with the play sufficiently to see things in real time and make the right judgments? And therefore, I don't want to have a shot at Cesar Ramos, the Mexican referee, who, although he he allowed a really, really robust match, and although I think he got it totally wrong second half when Amrabat cleaned out Mbappe, I have got no question whatsoever that he was on some kind of trip when he didn't give a penalty to Morocco when Teo Hernandez miscontrolled the ball, slid right through Buffal and committed a penalty for which Buffal was booked. Utter pish. I didn't object to the large majority of the Mexican referee's decisions or work. He was light years better than Sampaio, the the Brazilian, um, who refereed France-England. Light years ahead of him. And in fairness, the Mexican was was pretty consistent in, in what he wanted to teach the players he would do throughout the match. But that was a penalty. If there's any other moment where... One player in blue, in a non-tackle situation, miscontrols and then slides through and takes the opposition man, who's not even making an attempt to tackle the blue, takes him out, and the the guy who's miscontrolled takes him out. It's a foul. It's a foul anywhere else in the pitch. It's a penalty. And Morocco needed that. Like a drink of... A long, cold drink of water in the desert... Morocco needed that penalty. As we went on, the thing that I loved was that there wasn't a single instant when 
any of the Morocco players began to think this isn't our night, began to think maybe we should abandon our principles and lump it forward, there were moments when they could have panicked. Particularly the one I talked about when about 50 minutes in, Mbappe goes off on one. Ashraf slides in in a tackle that, thank the Lord, he didn't connect with. Amrabat can't keep up, but by the time Mbappe reaches the outside of the penalty box and turns to try and trick Amrabat and put the ball into the middle, Amrabat cleans him out. It's a foul. <laughs> it's a foul. There were lots and lots of of misses when um, En Naziri is about to receive from uh, Morocco's substitute left back because it, it's been down both sides, both wings, which again, I really enjoyed, that Atiyat, Allah, Ashraf, Bufal, and to some extent, some extent Ziyech have made the most purchase on France. We learned throughout this tournament, or we had re-emphasised, those of us who watched Ashraf for um, Dortmund, for Real Madrid, um, and, and to some degree at, at PSG, He's a guy who, if he could add enough quality use of the ball high up the pitch, he'd be the world-class footballer that everybody is describing him as. He is world-class in many things. I've seen ex-pros talking about Ashraf as the number one right back in the world. Well, in the modern game, and particularly given the way that um, Regragi wants Morocco to play, and, and the way in which PSG require him to play, he needs to have percentage better quality of technical delivery once he's high at the pitch. And there were a couple of moments where, irrespective of the fact that Morocco had, had opened things up, and there was a constant flow of one-twos where Ziyech got into the box or Ashraf did, um, there, there, there wasn't simply enough quality. Nonetheless, it needed a brilliant interception from Kanati to block um, Enneziri getting onto the ball when the left-back made that brilliant run um, into the box. Again and again, I thought Morocco believed that they could win. And then I suppose the moment came that everybody realised was on the menu, that just as against England particularly, France showed that they could turn up their intensity, that they could produce thrilling, powerful, nasty excellence. We can make enough about Randall Kolomuani um, scoring as quickly as he did, and his position was good. It was um, back post, right side rather than left side, back post problems for a defence that didn't really recover from the way in which the manager told the second-choice players, I don't trust you enough because Saiz and Masrawi and Aguard all have to play. You're sending a message to the other defenders. At any rate, the, the fact that Randall Kolo Muani pops up at the back post owes something to... Like I said, that flash, that flash moment from two parts of the engine. If you look back at the goal and look at the way that Chalmeni, who has almost no time on the ball, 
And unless you're really watching the way in which the game develops, or unless you're really watching him, you'd think he had an anonymous game. Just like you'd think that after his goal against England, he had an anonymous game. But instead, what you find is that the players who had so much ingenuity and wit in midfield for Morocco, by which I mean Unahi, uh, Bufal, Amrabat, and once he came on, Amala, Tomeni did a really good job, and Fofana to a lesser less extent, of saying to them, I'm going to make it hard for you to make killer passes. Amrabat kept finding big spaces, and Unahi's ability to match really hard work with quality darting runs was just a joy to watch. But they never, not once did Chalmeni or Fafana say, okay, um, I can't keep up or I can't anticipate. And where they got their benefit is in the lead up to the goal, which Kolomwani scores with 10 minutes, 11 minutes left. If you look at Chalmeni, he's got just a blink of space with two players to ease the ball between. And he just he flicks the ball into Fafana. And Fafana has got time now to run. And he does run. But w- when he runs, he sees Mbappe and gives it to him. And at this point, Mbappe's turn of Ashraf is absolutely gorgeous. It's when you know wait thunder is about to roll across the heavens. Because he comes alive. It's just bang. He turns away. Gives it outside to Turam, and you can see from the instant it leaves Mbappe's boot, he's beseeching Turam at first silently with his arms out in front of him to say, Now you give it back to me. Turam, who, whenever I've seen him for Bushman Shigalbach, has struck me as, as quick and diligent, but, but maybe not all that outright special. Nonetheless, he finally gets the message to give it back to Mbappe. And then Mbappe does that special thing. It it didn't look as beautiful as it did, for example, in the World Cup final last time around against Croatia, in in that knockout game, which I think was the quarters, or the last 16 against Argentina four years ago, where it it looked all-time great, the thing he did. But when he gets given it by uh, Turam, it's been a little bit slow. Amrabat has read it. And Mbappe lets the ball roll across him so that Amrabat has just sold himself a third of a yard too much. And off Mbappe goes. He'll wriggle in. He's, he's doing all of this in hundreds of seconds. He says goodbye to Ashraf Dari. He doesn't let the substitute, Abde, who should have been on so much earlier, I tweeted... Abde with about, I don't know, half an hour ago, in the knowledge that Abde was the player who could have given Morocco that that element of France players going, where the fuck did he come from? How did he go past me? That's what they were lacking. Abde should have been on earlier. I think he, oh, raw, yes, but a gem. At any rate, Mbappe doesn't let Abde get near him. He has a little dig at it, knowing that he's putting it as near to the goal as he can, but into a danger area, and Colomuani scores. I don't know if I've transmitted this properly, but A, I really, really loved this match because France were, were, were pushed. 
They were tested. They were made to think. They were made to turn. It was a game which, although they're not in the final, confirmed that Morocco have got a mixture of exceptionally talented, clever, brave footballers. This didn't feel anything like Croatia, a great generation of Croatian players um, or and a great midfield. I'm not saying that necessarily, you know, even Perisic is, is all-time great. And I'm certainly not saying that um, Sosa, for example, is an all-time great. But this was the coming towards an end, I think, of, a, of, of the great Croatia generation, second great Croatia generation since they were admitted into international football. And they were pooped. You could see it in everything they did. They were knackered. Morocco should have been, but they weren't. They lacked an Mbappe, <laughs> which not many sides have. And that's the principal reason that they're not in the World Cup final, because I thought they were very, very good indeed. I say it reluctantly that Walid Regragi had a role in his team's downfall. I say it reluctantly and with sadness because he's been a very special character. If you look at his attitude, his behaviour, how he's asked his team to play, what they've achieved... It'll be a long time before we forget Walid Regragi. But Didier Deschamps, I think he's underestimated. I think he's underanalyzed. This is a man who took France to a European Championship final, a final that they should patently have won. A man who's already won the World Cup as a coach, a man who won the Champions League, as a player, I want he, he to, to, to have been part of that small group who've won the World Cup as a footballer, lifted the trophy as a captain and then as a manager, and now stands 90 or 120 minutes away from doing so and potentially denying Leo Messi his only senior World Cup. Boy, boy. Didier Deschamps. Allons au fond de la patrie, le jour de croire. Well done, Didier. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.